Resilience is accepting your new reality, even if it's less good than the one you had before. You can fight it, you can do nothing but scream about what you've lost, or you can accept that and try to put together something that's good. That is a quote by Elizabeth Edwards. Welcome to Trina Talk. Trina Talk is a weekly podcast that will inspire and empower women of all ages to strive for the impossible. Your host, Trina L. Martin from TrinaMartin.com is a motivational speaker, leader, and cybertech expert. Every week, Trina will share wisdom gained from her life experiences and lessons learned while pursuing her goals to inspire you to achieve the next level in your life. Now, your host, Trina L. Martin. Hello, welcome to Trina Talk. I am your host, Trina L. Martin, and this is episode 33. I am so excited about this week's episode. The men listeners have contacted me. They made some suggestions. I listened, and today's guest is the first male guest on Trina Talk. Yes, I did say that, ladies. It is the first male guest because I think the male perspective can be also empowering on so many levels for women as well as just having women. So I wanted to get a diverse point of view. So I want you guys to give me feedback on this episode and tell me what you think about it. And if you like me integrating men into the show, Um, but I think you're going to be very, very pleased. This week's guest is Bill Monroe. Bill is a Gen X stroke survivor and the host of StrokeCast podcast. Bill was born in New York and educated in Montana. He now drinks too much coffee in Seattle. He knows way more about neurology and neuroplasticity than any marketing person should ever know. Bill produces and hosts the Two Minute Talk Tips podcast where he helps folks become more effective public speakers in as little as two minutes a week. In February 2018, Bill launched his second show, The Stroke Cast Podcast, where he explores rehab, recovery, the frontiers of neuroscience, and one-handed banana peeling. He shares his story and the stories of other stroke survivors, caregivers, medical professionals, and generally people impacted by stroke or disability. Hi, Bill. Welcome to Trina Talk. Hey, Trina. Uh, Thanks for having me. I am thrilled to be here. Um, I really appreciate you being here today. Um, We're doing a little bit, things a little bit differently today. Um, My audience is our women listeners, but you are going to be the first man that I've had on the show because men can add value and can inspire women as well. And I've been looking at um, your bio and just instead of me going into it, why don't you give the listeners a a brief summary of of who you are? Sure, sure. So my background from a career perspective is in product uh, and brand evangelism. That means I take the uh, products and services that developers bring to market, 
and I get people excited to use and to sell them uh, through training, through speaking, through web content, through a variety of things like that. Uh, I grew up in New York City, went to college in Helena, Montana, uh, um, spent a lot of time on the speech and debate team there at Carroll College, which has really informed everything else that I've I've done in my life. I uh, spent a couple of years in Boise, Idaho, and moved to Seattle in the late 90s for work. I uh, got really interested in podcasting and launched a show about public speaking after I was uh, laid off from Microsoft uh, because it was a topic I was passionate about and really felt I could contribute something. And, and really, if I could help make somebody's presentation that they have to sit through just a little bit better, then you know I'm doing some good in the world. And then nine months after I got laid off, uh, things took a rather dramatic turn. On June 3rd, 2017, I had a stroke at the age of 46. And uh, it's something that's happening more and more to, to younger people all the time. But I woke up that morning and thought I had slept on my, my, my left arm a little funny. And I figured out it'll wake up in a few minutes. Uh, and it didn't. Over the next, you know, 10 minutes or so, my left leg started to go offline as well. And I realized that this is really a bad thing. Um, looked in the mirror and saw that my face was starting to droop on one side. Made it back to the bedroom. Woke up my girlfriend. Uh, told her I think I need an ambulance. She called 911 and I moved into the local hospital for the next month. As uh, I, I spent that day going through MRIs and CT scans and all sorts of other tests, uh, they did uh, an ultrasound of my heart. Uh, good news, my, my heart wasn't pregnant. Uh, and then it was starting to learn how to do things again, starting to learn how to walk at age 46 and having to learn to try and figure out how can I get my arm back. And this was just so entirely new for me. I mean, I knew a little bit about stroke, but not a whole lot. So my first instinct was to start looking for podcasts that talked about this so I could learn more and understand what I needed to do to get better. And there weren't a whole heck of a lot of shows out there. There was one out of Australia called Enable Me, and there was one out of Vienna, Virginia, called The Slow Road to Better, which is a, a, by a panel of about four survivors working through aphasia, which is a language difficulty. And so a few months later, I started my own, and that's how the Strokecast was born. You know, I love your story because something like that, that could have happened to anyone else, they would have took it as you know, it's over, it's done with, and let me sit in the house and look at the four walls, but you didn't do that. And that's what I love. And that's what this podcast is about. It's about motivating and, and inspiring. Um, what I wanted to, cause I, th I think we're the same age cause I'm going to be 48 here in a couple of weeks. So I think we're the same age. Yep. And the couple of questions that I did have for you 
are this? Because I didn't know um, a lot about strokes either until I started listening to um, some of your episodes and I was learning. I was like, oh, okay. It's funny because I've worked with two women, one in her 50s who had like two strokes back to back. They were minor. And then I worked with another lady who wasn't even 30 yet. And she had two strokes not um, far apart. And the last one left her um, in a wheelchair. So when you had your stroke and you started doing your research and things like that, did you find any kind of data that showed that women are more susceptible to stroke or is it an equal opportunity type of thing? Um, it is, women are more susceptible to stroke. I think the uh, latest numbers are showing that about 55% of uh, folks who have a stroke are women. And there's a lot of stuff that goes on around that. Uh, one thing is that women do have an added risk factor in many cases. Uh, many uh, birth control pills, hormone, hormone-based birth control pills, do have the added risk factor of potentially causing a stroke. Um, you know, the, the clot, blood clots are, uh, are a side effect of that. So that, that's one problem right there. Uh, secondly, the research I've heard and other folks that I've talked to indicate that women are less likely to be believed that they're having a stroke and are often misdiagnosed, uh, either because they don't believe it themselves or the people they're with don't believe it or that, you know, when they get to the emergency room, you know, they're not diagnosed as quickly as, as men are. Uh, and so those are some ongoing conversations that are happening in the field around um, around around emergency medicine and around recognizing stroke. Uh, there are also racial disparities and plenty of geographic disparities in the U.S. as well. The 11 states of the Southeast have a much higher rate of stroke than the rest of the country. And treatment is not always as widely available when you combine everything from some of the challenges in Appalachia to some of the urban poverty. All of that stuff comes into play. Ultimately, uh, you know, you can recognize a stroke by remembering the phrase be fast, B-E-F-A-S-T. And that stands for balance, eyes, face, arms, speech, and time. Sudden loss of balance, uh, sudden loss of partial vision, maybe that's losing one eye, having everything suddenly go fuzzy, or maybe just losing the left side or right side of both eyes at once. Um, facial drooping, inability to hold both arms straight out, sudden slurred speech or challenge speaking, whether that be from finding words to articulating sentences, any of that stuff, especially with that sudden onset, means that it is time to get to the ER. It is time to call an ambulance and not time to drive yourself. It's time to call, you know, 911 in the U.S. Uh, I think it's 999 in Europe, but, you know, whatever your emergency number is, get me to an ambulance immediately. And be willing to say, I think I'm having a stroke because this is not something that just happens to old people. The other thing is there are 
two different kinds of strokes. One is a clot, and that's what I had. The other is called a hemorrhagic or a bleed, and that's when um, you start bleeding in the brain. That you can also recognize because one of the symptoms of that in many cases is the absolute worst headache you have ever had in your entire life. And that's also one of those magic phrases where once you say that in the ER, you're going to the top of the triage list generally. But the important thing is you have to get there because there are treatment options now that weren't there five years ago. Uh, When I had my stroke, I woke up with my symptoms. So my last known non-stroke time or non-symptomatic time was six hours earlier, which put me out of the window at the time for treatments. There are treatments now that administered within three, six, or nine hours. They can actually go ahead and undo a lot of the damage from a stroke, either through surgery or through a special medication that will break up clots. And that's why it's so essential to get there quickly and to get that di- get diagnosed as quickly as possible. And yes, women do have, uh, you know, the added risk factor, a little bit less di- rate of diagnosis, and, uh, you know, sometimes have uh, more prolonged recoveries as well. That's very interesting. And we've had a couple of big name people in in the news that have died of strokes as of recently. But I'm wondering if, because like you said, it's always been like, think, oh, old, old people have strokes. And I'm just wondering, and you can educate me on this or not, like, you know, is it stress that brings it on? Is it, is it genetics? How? Because I've always heard it kind of grew up with, you know, oh, you're stressing me out. You're going to make me have a stroke. So is that true? Or, you know, what is the cause of that? There are a lot of different causes. Some of it is going to be genetic, but the number one risk factor for stroke is going to be hypertension Mm -hmm. or high blood pressure. And sustained high blood pressure, what it does is it damages the blood vessels over time. You know, when you talk about a, you know, High blood pressure, it seems obvious that it could cause a bleed. You know, you just get pressed so hard that it just breaks blood vessels and things bleed. Um, that's, you know, caused, that's called a ruptured aneurysm. Um, but it also, um, high blood pressure stresses your blood vessels every day. It's sort of like, you know how, you know, when you want to build up your arms and build up your muscles, you go ahead and you work out, you work them hard, you, you lift things at the gym, you get these big muscles. The problem is your blood vessels get bigger from dealing with the extra strength of dealing with high blood pressure. And as they get bigger, they're not just doing that on the outside. It's happening on the inside. So they're getting narrower. And when they get narrower from having to deal with the high blood pressure, from having to deal with high cholesterol, from having to deal with just fatty plaques and deposits in there, you know, that means you have to work even harder to get blood to the brain. Those openings get smaller, which makes it easier for them to get blocked. And when they get blocked by a blood clot that comes from someplace else in the body, uh, maybe it passes through a hole in the heart, which a quarter to a third of the American population has, is that 
it then cuts off the blood supply to the brain and the cells in the brain past that clot go ahead and die. And that's what happened to me. I had a blood clot in my brain, specifically in, uh, for those in your medical audience, in the right middle cerebral artery. Um, and that clot basically starved off my basal ganglia, which is the part of the brain that controls motion into the body. Uh, and and that's, that's what happened in my case. Other key risk factors include things like smoking. Smoking is, you know, incredibly risky for stroke. It does cause tremendous amount of strokes. And if you're smoking, just, just, just stop, just knock it off. <laughs> um, you know, uh, and a lot of the other things that lead to high blood pressure, everything from poor diet to a sedentary lifestyle, all of those things, uh, you know, diabetes, uh, can lead to stroke. And again, diet and exercise have a lot to do with diabetes. Uh, and all of those different things, a lot of preventing stroke for the most part is about doing the stuff that we know we're supposed to do anyway. It's eating right, it's getting exercise, and it's trying to control your stress level. When you say, when people joke about, oh, yeah, you're stressing me out, you're going to give me a stroke, you know, it's not like an acute instance of stress is going to cause the stroke. It's sustained long-term stress that drives up your blood pressure and gets that, gets that elevated that does the damage and can ultimately lead to a stroke. You know, the target blood pressure to be at is 120 over 80. And you can check your blood pressure in, you know, the little machines at the drugstore. You can get, you know, a home blood pressure machine for, you know, 15, 20 bucks on Amazon and just have one of those there and check your blood pressure from time to time. And if it's high, you know, talk to your doctor, get, you know, and make the right changes, whether that's going to be medication, whether that's going to be lifestyle changes, whatever it is, and make that, make that happen. The thing about high blood pressure is that it doesn't hurt. Most of the time, if you have high blood pressure, you won't know it. You won't feel any pain from it. You won't see any symptoms on a day-to-day basis until it gets, you know, extreme. You know, I found out I had high blood pressure because there was, um, over a, uh, the Christmas holidays at one point, over nine days, I had five massive 30 minute long nosebleeds where I was just pouring blood and it just would happen. Uh, and, um, you know, it turned out my blood pressure was in the neighborhood of, you know, 205 over 180 or some ridiculous thing like that, which is really sort of emergency room territory. But, you know, we were able to get that under control, but a lot of the damage had been done. And, you know, eventually that led to my stroke, even though it had been controlled. So, you know, know your numbers, get them checked and, and stay and stay on top of them because it makes a difference. And about 80% of strokes end up with a, a known cause. There's another 20% that they don't know what caused it. And it just can happen sometimes. And I've known people who are healthy, young, athletic, who will still have a stroke uh, for no apparent reason. Um, and sometimes it's 
because of a neck injury. You damage one of the blood vessels in your neck, and then that creates a rough surface for the blood going through, which then promotes clotting elsewhere in the brain. Uh, We're also, a lot of folks think about, hear the term aneurysm, and they think that's when you have something just burst in your brain. What an aneurysm is, is it is a weak part of a blood vessel, usually where where a blood vessel splits into two, or it could be just another part that's stressed, and you end up with a, get it with sort of bulging out on the side. So like if you have a weak garden hose, you'll, you'll sometimes get a bulge in the pipe. That's an aneurysm. And some people are born with them. Some people have them genetically, uh, and some people develop them later in life. Again, you know, hormonal birth control, smoking, uh, high blood pressure, all these things can contribute to those. And many times, you can live a perfectly normal life with aneurysms that don't rupture. But it's important to have the doctors be aware of that. Uh, and sometimes they'll do periodic testing. And there are ways they can go ahead and heal those now with some amazing surgical techniques where they, do, they don't even have to, you know, open up your skull like they did, you know, some years ago. They can actually just use little catheters and, you know, put little coils in them to close them off and to prevent those aneurysms from failing. And so there's a lot of amazing things that they're doing now. It was, um, and actually, if you followed Amelia Clark's story, who was, uh, you know, one of the big stars of Game of Thrones, uh, she came out as having had a major stroke after season one and again after season three, which was caused by aneurysms bursting and bleeding into the brain, which causes all sorts of, uh, all sorts of damage and bad things. So there's a lot of things that happen. And as you mentioned, the stories of John Singleton and Luke Perry is that it's, I mean, it's really an equal opportunity killer uh, with stroke. When this happens, there are tremendous possibilities for recovery and healing, but it's not a guarantee. And there are folks who, you know, have all the best resources, all the best, all the, all the financial resources that they could need, all the best care. And those two gentlemen, they still didn't make it. It's, it's really an important wake-up call to know your numbers, know your risk factors, and try and prevent this from happening to begin with. You know, I'm so glad you're on the show, and I'm glad you went through that, the, the, the medical aspect and the taking care of yourself, because I think we as a people, we don't take care of ourselves like we should. And here on Trina Talk, our you know primary audience is women, but I think women also don't because we're so busy trying to do it all. And you're right, you know, high blood pressure, diabetes, all these things, and not having an active lifestyle. And what you were saying about high blood pressure, it's so true that you don't feel it. Um, I remember when I was pregnant with my daughter, my whole pregnancy, my doctor said, oh, you know, you're the best pregnant woman I've, you know, ever want to treat. Because I don't have high blood pressure and I didn't, but all of a sudden the last week or whatever, it went sky high, which I didn't know because I felt fine. 
And it's funny because when I actually went into labor and checked into the hospital, the doctor was going, can you see? Are you okay? And I'm like, I feel fine. What are you talking about? He was like, how many fingers do I have up? And I'm asking him, I said, why are you asking me these questions? And he said, your blood pressure is so high that I'm afraid you're either going to have a stroke or you and this baby are not going to make it. And he even threatened to, you know, just forcefully take the baby from me um, by C-section mm-hmm. because it was, you know, my blood pressure was so high. And by my daughter being my first child, I said, no, you know, I want to go through the whole, you know, giving birth, everything. I said, you know, I'll do whatever you want me to do to, you know, be able to have that experience. Just, you know, tell me what to do. And he said, you know, you have to lay here. You have to do this. You have to do that. He said, but if it doesn't come down with what we're doing for you, you know, you're going to emergency C-section. And it was funny because I felt fine. I had been out walking around that same day, went out to dinner and I didn't. But when I got to the hospital, they were asking me, could I see if I were okay? And I'm thinking, I said, yeah, I'm fine. Why are you asking me that? So you are so right with, it's a silent killer. And all of these things, the, the high blood pressure, the stress, and all these things compounded lead to the stroke. And they lead to other things as well when we don't take care of our health. So I'm very glad you touched on that. Now, moving forward. So you're, you know, thank God you're here with us today. You're talking mm-hmm. to me. Tell me how your journey has been, um, whether, you know, you have paralysis. What did you do? Because I'm, I'm assuming that when you get that kind of information and that diagnosis and things you had to go through in your life, you have to find a way to, to, you know, encourage yourself and pull yourself out. You have to be determined to either say, I'm not going to let this defeat me, or you're going to just roll over. Right. Well, I think in, you know, one of the things that amazes me is the number of stroke survivors I talk to who say, I feel so lucky with how this turned out. Um, and, and I feel that way too. I mean, um, the, the deficits I was left with after the stroke were I had uh, what was called left side hemiparesis. So weakness on the left side. What that meant is that basically I lost the use of my left leg and left arm, uh, as well as my left side of my face was drooping and my core muscles on the left side of my body were a lot weaker. I just couldn't control them. I couldn't reach them. While I was in the hospital and going through physical therapy and occupational therapy, uh, I was able to get enough use of my leg back that I could stand, that I could uh, walk with a cane and and a brace. Uh, And when I leave the house today, I still use a cane and I use what's called an AFO, an ankle foot orthotic, which is basically a brace that runs from my calf to under the bottom of my foot because what I don't have strong control over yet is the muscles that lift your foot as you walk. So without that brace, I'll tend to drag my toes as I walk and that can lead to chirping and other challenges like that. My gait, meaning the pattern with which I walk, has gotten steadily better over the last two years. Spring of last year, I ended up having to go in for another uh, treatment and cortisone injections because the way I was walking had messed up my hip 
and given me tendonitis because uh, I didn't have all the muscles in my leg helping out. And we talk about walking is you just put one foot in front of the other. And sure, it's kind of like that, but not really because it's so much more complicated to walk and to take a step. You know, as you take a step, you first sort of move your heel backwards as you lift it up, pulling with the muscles that are in the back of your thigh, while the muscles on the inside of your thigh keep your leg in towards your body. Then you swing out, lifting your toes up so you can let your heel land on the ground while you then roll your foot flat on the ground, control your knee so it doesn't go too far forward or too far back. And it's all of these different muscles that have to work together, large ones and small ones, and all these different complex motions that we figure out when we're toddlers. But, you know, I had to relearn that at, at age 46 and 47 and 48, and I'm still learning that. Um, that's why I can't actually run yet. I can jump a couple of inches, but I just don't have all of that coordination quite yet. Um, but I'm getting there. Um, my speed is getting better. Uh, and I do get to carry nifty canes with me, which is great. And, you know, while totally doesn't offset the, the challenges of it, the parking privileges are kind of nice. <laughs> to um, but so that was a leg. Uh, the arm uh, I'm still working on. I can sort of grip very lightweight things with my hand now, but I can't yet easily open my fingers or uncurl them. When I left the hospital, I didn't have any use of my hand. I didn't really have much use of my elbow at all. And I had to wear my arm in a sling. Because one of the things we don't think about is that the shoulder is probably the single worst designed joint on the human body. Uh, it is not really held together well. It's held together by muscles in the back and, uh, you know, in the chest and some of them in the arm that try to keep everything together. But when you lose control of those muscles and things start to get weak, what starts to happen is what's called subluxation. That means that gravity is pulling your arm out of the socket. And so you can actually get it a couple of inches out. And when that happens, well, it hurts. And you can't really rotate it or move it, which means you can't do the therapy you need to ultimately get it back. So I had to wear a sling to support my arm so that it wasn't pulling out of the socket. I finally got out of that thing in October. Uh, and it's been about continually working on that. Muscle control generally comes back from the core of the body out. So the shoulder came back first, the elbow is coming back. Now I'm working on the wrist and working more with the fingers. The other thing that happens is what's called a uh, muscle tone or spasticity. We tend to think of muscle tone as a good thing. It's, I want to get toned for bathing suit season. But what tone actually is, it's the muscles contracting and working hard and squeezing. And that's not a great thing because what happens is uh, after, uh, as things start coming back, sort of like my biceps and some of the other muscles in my arm start firing incredibly hard. And that's why when you, you'll see a lot of stroke survivors will have their arm 
mostly bent at the elbow and their hand in a fist because some of the muscles are firing with tremendous activity to curl things up. But the others, like on the back of the arm, the tricep, aren't firing strongly enough. So I can't necessarily straighten out my arm by default. And that tone makes it harder to do exercise, makes it harder to do the therapy. And if you have really long fingernails, it means that your fingernails are going to dig into the palm of your hand. And over time, there are other uh, health concerns as well. Tendons can start to shorten. uh, Skin can start to get damaged. So there's treatments for that, including, again, exercise, there's some medications, and there is Botox, which we normally think of as just a cosmetic procedure. But uh, what stroke survivors often do is get Botox shots, which are designed to turn off some of those overactive muscles to relax the arm or relax the leg. And it's some really powerful stuff. And it is a fascinating world to explore all of this. But where I'm at today, I can uh, take care of myself pretty well. I can get around well enough uh, because it just affected my left side. I can still drive uh, with a couple of minor adaptations to my car, including a spinner on the steering wheel and a turn signal extension. Um, Where I am really grateful is that as a podcaster and a speaker and a trainer, I did not pick up aphasia, which is the language challenge. That's why a lot of stroke survivors speak very haltingly or have trouble with words. I did not have any cognitive or language deficits. Because of where my stroke was, all of my deficits were physical. And I was never athletic to begin with. So, you know, what I like to say now is, hey, you know, if some company wants to hire me to be on their softball team, I'll probably be about as effective on that team now as I would have been before the stroke. But, you know, it's, uh, you know, the physical aspects of being able to run fast, that was never something that was passionate to me. I never had to, I was never a musician and never had to, so I didn't lose like my ability to play a guitar or anything like that. But uh, for other people, those are bigger challenges. Uh, For me, um, I'm I'm glad I was able to continue speaking, continue to tell my story, whether in writing or on my show or on other podcasts like this one. So be, before we, you know, started the interview, we were talking about something, and, and I want you to continue on with that as far as the motivation that keeps you going. Sure, sure. And that's that throughout this whole thing, I, I learned that my favorite word is the word yet. And you heard me use it a few times in that. I can talk about how I can't use my my arm or I can talk about how I can't use my arm yet. And there's a big difference between those two sentences. You know, you know what I like about the word yet is it's about acknowledging the reality of today, but making a plan to do things differently tomorrow. You see, one of the things about stroke is that it introduced me to the idea of neuroplasticity. Neuroplasticity is how your brain is always rewiring itself. Each new memory or each new experience or each new habit you pick up, each thing you learn is causing different connections among brain cells to form and to expand or to retreat. 
it's how uh, I can recover because my brain is building new connections and new nerves to get around the, the big chunk of dead tissue that's in there. The brain will do what you tell it to do, what you focus on. Uh, and if I tell my brain to get used to the idea that my arm doesn't work, uh, I'm not going to reacquire the skills to use my arm. If I tell it it doesn't work yet, well, now I'm opening up the possibility that I can do things better tomorrow, that I can do things more effectively, that I can go ahead and rebuild those connections because there is literally nothing wrong with my arm and there is literally nothing wrong with my leg. The entire problem is literally all in my head and it's about rebuilding those new connections in my head. It's, it's sort of like how um, back in the, in the 90s, I was bored one weekend in, in Helena, Montana. And so I decided to go learn how to, get my, learn how to ride a motorcycle because I saw a flyer at the grocery store. And it was a two-day class. And one of the things they taught us in that class, oh, and by the way, that's the only time I ever rode a motorcycle. So uh, any medical professionals who are listening out there, yeah, I'm going to keep all my internal organs for now. Uh, but one of the things they taught us in that class was that if you're riding and you see an obstacle in the road, whether that's going to be debris, whether that's going to be a pothole, whether it's going to be a car or a pedestrian, don't look at it. Don't focus on it. Instead, look at the path around that obstacle. Look at the path that's going to get you to where you want to go and focus on that because your brain will steer you into whatever you are focusing on. And if you are focused on that obstacle, you are going to hit that obstacle. If you are focused on the path around it, then you can avoid it. Then you can get where you're going. And that's what I like about the word get. It's about focusing on the path around those obstacles of my disabilities. It's about focusing on the path to accomplish whatever it is that I want to accomplish in life that's going to get me to where I need to go. Instead of focusing on the obstacles, whether it's going to be my disabilities, whether it's going to be, you know, just other challenges in life. If I focus on where I want to go, I can get there. If I focus on the things that are trying to stop me, I'm going to get stopped. I love that, Bill. It's all about mindset. And I'm so big on mindset. You know, if you, if you change your mindset, you can change your life. And I truly believe that. And just like you're talking about your mindset as far as um, getting your your physical being back, I think that's what, well, what is the downfall of a lot of people is just say they're diagnosed with cancer and they all of a sudden, you know, they don't live long. It takes them out really quickly. And you're like, man, what happened? And I think yeah, of course, medically, it could be the stage and where they were and how long it took them to detect it. But I think a lot of it is mindset. I think if you say, oh, my God, I have cancer and my life is over. I think that feeds into your physical being and how you're going to handle it. But I think if you say, OK, I got cancer, I want to beat this thing and I'm going to keep trying. I think that gives you an extra 
oomph another day, you know, to get up and to keep fighting. Whereas you're not just sitting in and succumbing to the whole situation. Right. And I think one of the, one of the challenges around mindset is that, you know, when you don't think about mindset in detail, I think it gets a bad rap sometimes. Sort of like the whole idea of the power of positive thinking. Because it's not just about that. You know, having the right attitude, having the right mindset isn't just about thinking things are going to go well. The right mindset is a necessary condition for success. Yes. But it doesn't guarantee success. What it does mean is that if you don't have the right mindset, you won't succeed. If I don't have the right attitude towards my recovery and my abilities or my disabilities, I am not going to get better. Having the right attitude doesn't guarantee that I will get better. There are certainly things that can go wrong. There are certainly medical things. There are certainly re things in reality that can interfere with that. But without the mindset, without the right way of doing it, without that action-oriented attitude, I don't have a chance. Absolutely. I'm 100% agree with you because it is. It's Yeah, you're not guaranteed that, but at least it's putting you on that path. I, I love it. I, I just, that is just so powerful. And I think if people applied their attitude and their mindset to everything in life, I think outcomes would be different for whatever it is that we choose to go towards, whether it's school, your health, working out, eating, whatever that is. If you have the right attitude and mindset, I think you can build the strength to accomplish whatever it is that you're trying to achieve. So that, that is powerful right there. I, I really, I really like that. So what are you doing now today? So it's been two years and you've been on this journey to recovery mm -hmm. and it seems like you're um, going fairly well. Um, so what are you, what do you do today? What do you, what do you like to do? What are you doing is, you know, what are the things that let's just say, you know, you used to do that you love that you can't do anymore or things that you just found a new way to do it or something new that you're just loving life now? Well, um, in terms of recovery, I'm trying to do as much as I can with my left hand mm -hmm. uh, and that means failing a lot. And you know what? That's okay, because if I'm not failing from time to time, it means I'm not trying hard enough. Uh, but whether that's going to be pushing buttons or turning doorknobs, it takes me longer. But uh, And sometimes I don't do it, so I, have to, I, I end up just defaulting back to the right. But by trying, I'm getting a little bit better all the time. You know, As I'm on this call right now in my left hand, I have one of those little hand grip exerciser things, which is just super lightweight in my right hand, but in my left hand, it feels super heavy, just trying to squeeze it and, and, and do that. So I do a lot of those things while I'm doing, while I'm doing other tasks. I'm walking as, as much as I can. I don't have the range that I want yet, but you know, we'll get there. In, in terms of not stuff that's not directly focused on my recovery, I lead, I also lead the uh, largest stroke support group here in the Seattle area young adult stroke survivors, and we have 30 to 40 people attending meetings each month 
to sort of connect with one another and hear from other speakers and share experiences, which is, which is fantastic. And we have separate support group for caregivers, uh, folks living with stroke survivors, so that they can get a chance to uh, address their needs and their concerns with each other. Because stroke isn't just hard on the person who has the stroke. It's hard on everybody in their lives. Everybody who's had their life turned upside down. Uh, all their plans changed. Everything from where they're going to go on vacation to their financial health and, and future. So I, I'm involved with that. I also attend su- support groups at other places in Seattle. I, I do some volunteer work for the American Heart Association. And I host uh, two podcasts, uh, the StrokeCast podcast, where a Gen X stroke survivor explores rehab, recovery, the frontiers of neuroscience, and one-handed banana peeling. And uh, I also still host two-minute talk tips where I help folks become more effective public speakers in as little as two uh, minutes a week. Uh, I'm also doing some freelance work for some other uh, um, companies, uh, other technology organizations, and you know, sort of always looking for my next uh, opportunity. And especially as we come up on June 3rd, which as we're recording this is next week, that is my second birthday. That is my second stroke anniversary, And that's where I am really starting to think, okay, what does this next chapter in my life look like? And what I really want to do is sort of get out there and start doing more speaking engagements and working with more groups and, and companies and, and medical organizations and people, you know, sort of around the country and around the world about, you know, lessons that, you know, I've learned from my, from my experience here with stroke that, you know, can apply to other people's lives, whether that is the most basic of how do you, you know, of mitigate a bunch of the risk factors because the, the stroke club is filled with cool kids, but the dues really suck um, to everything from, you know, what does this mean about learning and how adults learn? We think about things like, um, you know, nobody ever learns anything from rote memory and repeating a task over and over again. You know, that's sort of one of the, the, the mantras, one of the things we hear a lot about in adult education and professional learning and development. And you know what? It's not true. That's exactly how we learn things in physical therapy and occupational therapy and how we build those neural connections and how we enforce that neuroplasticity to drive those new connections so that the things that we do, that we can ultimately acquire skills that we can take for granted. So I am doing a whole bunch of, of different things in that area. And oh yeah, I still need to get caught up on Star Trek Discovery and the most recent season of Doctor Who. And... <laughs> And just trying to manage all of those different things. Um, this year, actually yesterday, I was just uh, got out and started working on the garden again and started pulling stuff out. And what's really amazing to me is that this year, this is my first time really working on the garden this year. I was able to spend about three hours out there pulling weeds and stuff. Last year, I could only do an hour. And it's easy to lose track of improvement. Uh, in my recovery. And this isn't just about stroke. This is about anything we're doing in life. It's easy to forget how far we've come if we don't look back at where we used to be. You know, as we get better at a skill, as we get better at something, it becomes second nature to us. We just start to live and breathe it and it becomes super easy for us. And we start to undervalue it and don't think about um, how difficult it is. But if we look back to when we started, we realize 
wow, we've, we've come a long way. We have really been on a long journey by just getting a little bit better all the time to get us to where we are now. You know, if you ever have a major medical thing, a stroke or something else, one thing I encourage folks to do, take a lot of pictures and take a lot of video, especially in the early days, because recovery will be frustrating and recovery will be hard and you'll think you're not doing any better and you're not getting any better. But you know what? You go back, you look at that stuff from a month ago, six months ago, a year ago, two years ago, and you can really start to see just how far you've come. And you can envision just how you can keep going. Well, I have no doubt you're going to pick up more speaking engagements because you are very inspiring. And I think that's what the community needs is someone to get out and, and talk about the trial, the journey, the everything that goes along with stroke and see someone who is doing it, who's got past it and is trying to recover and get back to a hundred percent. And that's, that's inspirational. And that, that would give someone the inspiration to say that they can do it too, because I'm pretty sure that someone has had a stroke and they think that they'll, you know, there's no hope and all hope is not lost. They may not be who they were before the stroke a hundred percent, but it's not a sentence to just give up. It's the, it's not an end of life. It's, it's the beginning of a different life. Right. And I, I really, I've enjoyed speaking with you and I really have learned a lot about um, strokes. Like I said, I didn't have any real education on it. So that's been great. And um, I can actually, I can talk to you forever because (laughs) I just, I like talking to other smart people and I like learning. So I love that. I I always say if I, if I'm, if I'm always the smartest person in the room, I'm going into the wrong rooms. You know what? I say the same thing. (laughs) <laughs> exactly. And and that's how I feel. I always I want someone to be around me that's taking me to another level. But what we're gonna do now, Bill, we're gonna get into our questions because awesome. every every guest has to answer my 10 questions. I'm excited. Okay, so here we go. Who or what motivates you? I think uh what motivates me is just seeing how tomorrow I can be a little bit better. I strongly believe that I don't have to be the best. I just have to be better. Um, And that doesn't have to be a huge thing. Just a little bit, just that little continual growth is ultimately what's going to get me to whatever success it is that I need and that I want. Okay, wow. What demotivates you? What demotivates me is when I get myself caught up in envy. And that is something I, I, I sometimes struggle with. And when I see somebody or, or maybe hear uh, another show that I think is just awesome and it's amazing. And, you know, why, am, why isn't mine like that? And why aren't I accomplishing that? And you know, when I can get into, get into a spiral like that, it can be a problem and just encourage me to not, to not do it. But you know what? We're all on our own path and 
we all have a different approach to things. We all have a unique voice. And my voice can't be somebody else's. Somebody else can have a different voice. And if I try to go ahead and and match their voice to try and match what they're doing, I'm going to fail. And I've had that experience where it's like, you know what? I try to be someone else. Try to be someone I'm not. And the result, I'm just even more disappointed in the result. So, you know, I have to, you know, sort of keep an eye on, on those, on those demons. Um, and, and just try to break myself out of the cycle when that happens. Hmm. Okay. When was a time that something was said or done to hurt you, but it worked out for your good? You know, um, it's, it's really hard to say. I would say probably the, the closest thing would be, uh, being laid off, uh, from my job because yeah, it's an ongoing challenge and yeah, it does hurt. But at the same time, it's opened up my, my eyes to start figuring out where I can go from here and really gave me an opportunity to start reevaluating life. What do I really want to do in a role? Um, and you know, of course, obviously the stroke interrupted that process, but provided some further refinement, but it's been going through this process that I've understood that, you know, what I like to do professionally is I like to speak. I like to write, I like to teach and I like to travel. And it's helped give me that clarity of vision to see where I should focus future efforts and future growth. Mm. What is your fear? Being forgotten. Okay. Is there a time when you wish you had done something that you didn't? There are a few. I think one uh, that comes to mind was a number of years ago, I had the opportunity to pursue a role with a different organization. And I didn't pursue it. I didn't take the conversation because it felt like where I was, it was just, it was just comfortable. And that comfort probably, um, hindered, probably fed into that decision in a way that it shouldn't have. It meant that I wasn't challenging myself and I wasn't looking to take on that other challenge. And had I taken on that other challenge, um, I think I'd have probably ended up in a very different uh, financial situation and um, and career path. So whether it ultimately would have been a good thing or not is is an it, there's no way to know. But uh, I did let my comfort zone be a little too comfortable for that, and I think that uh, that was that was a poor decision. Hmm. Okay, is there a time that you wish you had not done something? Oh, sure. I can go back to an eighth grade dance when a girl asked me to dance and I was just too embarrassed at the idea of dancing and said no. And 
Um, the look on her face was just, just terrible. I knew, you know, I had made a terrible mistake, but you know, I just didn't have the tools to deal with that at that time. But, uh, that's one of those ones that, that stuck with me over the years. Okay. What is your definition of success? Uh, I'd say, uh, continual growth. Continuing to be better than you were the day before. Okay. How do you recharge? I think sleep plays a large part in recharging. Uh, and, um, and I don't think any of us get enough of it. Um, I think recharging also involves sometimes just sort of breaking out of a cycle, sitting down with that's going to be, you know, outside in a quiet environment to just sort of sit there and try and do nothing or write or, or just sort of, sort of write hand, write, um, just not even necessarily with a specific topic in mind, but just, just to start writing and sort of let the mind, uh, sort of drift into that way and just sort of let things come to you. Okay. What are you awesome at? <laughs> I'd like to say speaking and podcasting, I hope. <laughs> they take enough of my time. Oh, yes, they do. Um, what legacy do you want to leave? A legacy of people who can say their life is better for having had me in it. Nice. Okay. Give the listeners one motivational takeaway. What I want you to do is to go out onto your favorite social media platform, think about something you cannot do, and say, I cannot do blank hashtag yet. And then I want you to just put up hashtag yet someplace that you can see it. And always remember that that is your reminder that you can do something different tomorrow. Wow. <laughs> That's powerful. Um, where can the listeners connect with you? Give me your social media platforms or where you're speaking at next, whatever you want the listeners to know. You can head on over to currentlyspeaking.com and you'll find links to uh, my Twitter where I am at currently Bill. I am at currently Bill on Instagram. You can find me on Facebook. You can also find links to my two podcasts. Uh, so I would encourage you to go ahead in your favorite podcast app, subscribe to the Strokecast podcast. Or if you want to learn more about public speaking, uh, go ahead and subscribe to Two Minute Talk Tips. Again, you can find those links over at currentlyspeaking.com and in the directories for your favorite applications. Well, Bill, thank you so much for being here with me today. And thank you for the wisdom you've imparted as far as inspiration, the health tips, the just the motivation on how to keep going and whether you can't do something, but to think of it as you can't do it as of yet. So. Well, thank you so much for your kind words, Trina. And this has been uh, an awesome experience.
Join me every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Central Standard Time as I go live on my Facebook page at Speaker Trina L. Martin to answer the question on some of the things that you said you need just some little motivation and inspiration on. This week's question is, what do you do when you encounter disappointment? Tune in to the Facebook Live and hopefully we can have a discussion and it'll be fun and insightful. If you're looking for a speaker for your live event or conference, go to my website and read my bio and contact me at bit.ly forward slash booktrina. I hope you have a great week. Until then, remember, if you change your mindset, you'll change your life. Keep striving. Success is a journey, not a destination. You can listen to Trina Talk anytime and anywhere. It's available on iTunes, Google Play Music, Stitcher, Spotify, and all other places that you can listen to podcasts. If you like the podcast, please don't forget to go to iTunes to subscribe, rate, review, and share. If you have questions for me or need inspiration on how to go to the next level, tweet me directly at Trina L. Martin.